0: She's sitting over there with Grandma and being a good little girl. If you would, please turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11 here. And uh, I'm going to read verses 9 through 11 for our reading. If you want to, when you get turned there, feel free to stand for the reading of God's Word. And I will read verse 9 through 11 of Acts chapter 1. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Dear me, Father, we come to you today, and we've already lifted your son high through music, through prayer, and by the act of worship of giving towards your, uh, your labor of love in the gospel. And we thank you that we are able to come together as a, as a congregation uh, to unite in worship, in work, and in our witness. As we'll learn today, Father, help us to be a people that are also willing to wait for you to prompt, for you to lead, for you to empower us to be witnesses to this world. And Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Here in Acts chapter 1, we're going to start, remember I told you, we're going to start the book of Acts. That's kind of... My bread and butter, when it comes to preaching, I like to find a book in the Bible and just go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, from the, from the beginning to the end, and I was telling somebody last week, you know, it would be one thing if I handed you, let's say, a novel or a book that I like to read, and I would say, you need to read chapter 3, 7, and 10 before you read anything else, and I said, why? Well, I'm just telling you, it, it's this and it's that, and then pretty soon, you get the book. And you read chapter 3, chapter 7, and chapter 10, and you don't get it. You know why you didn't get it? Because you didn't read chapter 1 and 2 like I did for chapter 3, 7, and 10 to really leap out at me to understand the book. Well, I, and in my opinion, I think it's the same way with these 66 books in the Bible. I know there's going to be a time that we got a Thanksgiving, a Christmas, a Mother's Day, a Father's Day, Easter, things of that nature. I get it. Even during Christmas, I mean, I did, a, what, four weeks' worth of Christmas messages But I think the best way for a pastor who's preaching week in, week out, is to find a book in the Bible that the Lord leads him to and feed the flock. And what I found out over over 38 years of ministry is that it is so interesting that once God leads me to a book or the church to a book, and we just begin to walk through it verse by verse, pretty soon... Because God just led me to a book, not for any particular political reason, any fleshly reason. I just may be led to a book like the book of Acts here and Nehemiah on Sunday night. And as you walk through it verse by verse, you will find out that it is more relevant to, to you as an individual or us collectively than we really thought. Until all of a sudden it just kind of leaps out of the pages. And so, as I told you before a couple Sundays ago, well actually when I told you last Sunday... I chose the book of Acts. I chose the book of Nehemiah. I chose all those Christmas messages a week before you ever voted on me because I didn't, I didn't know if you'd vote, but i got to be prepared, right? And, and I believe, at least in my experience, it, it's been very relevant as to what God wants to say to us as Calvary Baptist Church. And so what we're going to do is we're going to continue that, that tradition of expository book preaching through books of the Bible, And so, here in Acts chapter 1, we're starting this book, and I just call this, the the whole book's a series, right? The whole book will be our series, and the series is the birth and development of the church moving forward, because by the time we get to chapter 2, it's going to be birthed, and it's going to develop. They don't even have deacons yet until chapter 6, right? Because there's an issue, and they figure out how to solve a problem. So, you know what? The the church is still developing in the sense of solving problems, helping one another, learning how to witness. We're changing, not because of the culture, but with the culture, how we're going to witness. Uh, I mean, uh, when I pastored my first church in 1996, there wouldn't have been any internet. There wouldn't have been no sermon audio. We might have had audio cassettes. That we saved back there in the safe, we had a safe back there that we kept our sound system so people wouldn't steal stuff out of our church. But we had cassette tapes. We see we had to change with culture, change with technology. And so, so in that sense, the church is still developing. Even we as a, a local body, we're developing, we're developing relationships, networking, we're having visitors, we're having regular folk. And so although the church has already been birthed, we'll see, it is developing. We're developing our relationship as Calvary Baptist Church. And so as we look at that series, as we walk through the book of Acts, that's what we're going to focus on, the birth of the church and the development of the church moving forward, moving forward. You know, one thing I've learned in ministry is that there are some hills I don't want to, I figured out there are some hills you don't want to die on, right? But ultimately, the Bible says, when you stand, take your stand and stand. So as a Christian, you either, you're either standing or you're advancing. You're either standing or moving forward. There's no retreat. There's no retreat. And the reason there's no retreat is because if I retreat, I go back to my Exodus experience, right? I go back to, I go back to the Egypt, my, my slavery. So there's no retreat. So what we're going to do as a church, as we walk through the book of Acts, we're going to develop, we're going to grow uh, in unity and in, in our relationships, and we're going to move forward also, because there is no retreat. Here in Acts chapter one, verse one through eleven, we will see the departure of Jesus. He'll go to his father, and earlier in the gospels, Jesus was what was telling them, you know i 'm going to die and all that stuff. He said well, i 'm not going to leave his orphans." in other words, i'm going to leave a comforter with you, the Holy Spirit, right And that's what Jesus is going to reiterate to them here in these verses. And these verses speak of 40 days that Jesus saw many of the disciples over a period of time of 40 days. He saw them many places, many times, proving his resurrection because they could physically see him and see his wounds and things. And so this little caption of 11 verses kind of brings together what happened during those 40 days before his ascension to the Father, to be presented to the Father, to sit on the throne, that he rightfully was to sit on that eternal throne of King David that we learned last week that God, that God in his perfect will and his, in his permissive will and providential will made happen according to his perfect will, and he made it happen. And so now we're going to see Jesus ascend up to his throne. And so what I'd like to do is in verse 1 through 3, let's look at the highlights of Jesus' history, the highlights of Jesus' history, Luke is writing the book of Acts, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and here in verse one through three, Luke is kind of given an introduction as to why he's even writing this book, and he's making mention how he's written the Gospel of Luke. Look at verse one through three with me. The former account I made of made old Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. He's referring to his gospel when Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day which he was taken up, after he, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering for many, uh, by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. In these first three verses, Luke gives you a historical highlight of Jesus. He said, in the Gospels, I've told you what Jesus began to teach and do concerning the kingdom. And he says, and now I'm going to write to you about what's happened in the last 40 days since his resurrection. He said, I'm giving you a highlight. He said, this book is going to not only affirm what I've already written about Jesus, but it's going to tell you about his ascension and and how he has given a teaching, and how he has given certain commands to those left behind. And of course, we're going to see a little bit about the Spirit of God, about the birth of the church, and how they're going to continue that work, continue that teaching that Jesus began in the Gospel of Luke. It's the highlights of Jesus's history. Luke passes on The story in these verses, he says, I've passed on the story of Jesus of my gospel. Now I'm passing on the story through the book of Acts, what Jesus did after his resurrection. And, of course, now what the church had done in these uh, book of Acts. And so Luke is giving a highlight of the history of Jesus in these first three verses. He says that Jesus had a redemptive word while he was here on earth. He performed a redemptive work, and he completed it. And he's got a redemptive message to continue through the body of Christ. So Luke is going to encapsulate in verse 1 through 3 a highlight of who, what Jesus done, what he did in 40 days, and his ascension, and now it's the church. Now it's going to be the church. Once we get to chapter 2, the birth of the church. But until then, Jesus has got to give them commandments concerning the kingdom of God and the spirit of God, which God promised and Jesus had promised way back in the Gospels that I'm going to send one, a comforter. And so we see the highlights of Jesus' history. Then in verse 4 through 8, the details of Jesus' promise. The details of Jesus' promise. Look at verse 4 through 8 with me. And being assembled together, now John's writing about those, what happened during those 40 days in a specific time. And being assembled together with them, that is Jesus, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you have heard from me. In other words, I've told you about him. I've told you about this comforter that's coming. Verse 5. For John truly baptized with water, that was a water of repentance. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In other words, uh, baptized, the Holy Spirit come and dwell you not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him. That is during that time that he was saying those things. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall witness to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus, when he finally does in the story sit down during those 40 days, to command his disciples, he gives some details to that promise. Earlier in the Gospels, Jesus wasn't too detailed about, oh, there's just one coming, and he's going to be a comforter. There's one coming that's going to bring to mind what I've said. There's one that's coming that, that's going to be a helper to you. Now Jesus is telling them the details of that promise. That is, that the promise is that you're going to have an indwelling comforter, uh, John the Baptist baptized in repentance, but you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You're going to be indwelled by the Spirit. This Spirit, this promised one, is going to indwell you as a comforter, as a comforter that's coming soon. And then he says, but also this promised one is going to indwell you and empower you to manifest your witness soon. So Jesus is encouraging them. They're they're very clingy to Jesus, obviously, because they kind of lost him for a while. They thought they'd lost him for a long time. Then he came back resurrected, right? And he came back and encouraged him. And now before he's ascending, he's reminding them of what he's always taught them. There is one coming. But he's saying here, and he's coming soon. He's coming soon that you might be baptized in him. And he's coming soon that he might empower you to be witnesses. But in the meantime, he says, You need to wait right here in Jerusalem for what? Till he comes. Till that promise happens, where he will fill you, where he will empower you, until he indwells you. You wait. You wait. And then they had a question. Well, Lord, because you know, they just assumed, once again, based off Jewish teaching, were well, you going to restore your kingdom now? And Jesus says, It's not for you to know that. That's what God knows. What you need to know, he says, is that the Spirit's coming, and He's going to empower you to be witnesses. That's all you need to be concerned about. And I think sometimes as Christians, uh, as we would say, we put the cart before the horse. And although Jesus will come back to an earthly kingdom, if we were in the book of Revelation, we'd find that out, right? He will come back for a millennial reign, and He will rule and reign with a rod of iron, and His saints will rule with Him. we'll have thrones to rule with Him and serve Him during that time That's what they were thinking of. They didn't get it that the kingdom of God is is in the hearts of men and women through the Spirit of God first. And he's reminding them, that's not for you to know. You need to be patient, and you need to just wait for God's promises, is what he said. He said, you need to be satisfied just to witness for God's kingdom right now. It's coming, but it's not for you to know when that kingdom is coming. You need to just be witnesses. You need to be waiting you need to be patient. And then when you do, you're going to be empowered to trust God for his moving. And so when Jesus gives the details of the promise, he does kind of give them a gentle rebuke. When, the good thing is is they felt like they could ask Jesus, didn't they? You know, is it you restore your kingdom? They felt like they could come to him. But because they had a good relationship, he says, no, it's not for you to know. He kind of gentle rebuke. He didn't call them old, little faith or anything. He just gave them clarity. He told them what they needed to know. And what they needed to know was they need to wait in Jerusalem till God empowers them. And then they'll be witnesses throughout the whole world. And of course, he's referring also there in Matthew, you know, where he said, you know, go into all the world, right? And he told him, Lo, I'll be with you even to the end of this age. So he's reminding them of, of what he has already promised them that they would do. So. We, we begin to, we, we also begin to teach and do just like Jesus did. And that's what he's telling them there in verse 1 through 3. Just as Jesus taught and did, we're going to teach and do. We're just going to follow the master. We're just going to do what our master has already done. And he says, as far as the, the end times and the, and, the, and the millennial reign, the earthly reign, that's not for you to worry about. You need to be teaching and doing, going about. And he says, you've got to wait. To the promise falls. And when the promise falls, you'll be satisfied with what God's called you to do. That's God's business. You need to be satisfied with your business. And that is to occupy until I do come. Then in verse 9 through 11, there's not only the highlights of Jesus' history, as he says, I've spoke about him in the gospel. I'm speaking about his 40 days now before his ascension, after his resurrection. And in that moment, Jesus gives the details of the indwelling spirit, the empowering spirit that's going to come, and we've got to wait to be satisfied with what God's called us to do and let other things be in God's hands. In verse 9 through 11, there's the anticipation of Jesus' return because he goes on to encourage them about that return. Look at verse 9 through 11. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched... He was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. There was an anticipation of his return as he ascended. There was an anticipation because the two men said, just as you've seen him go up in a cloud, he's saying he's coming back in a cloud. He's going to return. He gives, a, he gives them an anticipation. There they are gazing. They're in awe. I mean, he's just sitting there telling them, the Comforter's coming. He's going to fill you with the Spirit. He's going to empower you to be witnesses. And as he's teaching, all of a sudden, he just begins to ascend up in a cloud at the end of that teaching. And they're just sitting there in awe. And they're gazing. And God provides two men, two angels, in white apparel to say, why are you gazing? You know, do what he said to do. Go and wait in Jerusalem. Wait for that promise to come to empower you. Why are you gazing? Because the same way he came, he left, he's going to come. He gives them in their, in their anticipation, and their astonishment, he gives them assurance that he is coming back. Jesus went to the Father in glory as they saw him ascend, and they're telling them Jesus will return in God's glory. He will return to rule and reign. God received Jesus bodily. This is, this is some of the proofs of Jesus' resurrection. He received Jesus bodily to his throne through a mysterious cloud, and God assured that Jesus was placed on that throne uh, through the angels. He, he's going that way. And he reveals that Jesus will remain on that throne until he does come. And he'll remain on a throne when he does come. We see his return. and We see his return. We, just as they saw his return, we see the return. We anticipate his return. And, and sometimes we gaze. We gaze in awe of what God's already doing. We anticipate his coming. One of the things that I've learned over the years doing gravesides, and I don't know if you know this, but I was educated when I did my first graveside many moons ago. It was for a a young man that I didn't know. He died of some drug overdose, and I was asked to do the funeral. And I was a fairly new minister. I hadn't even pastored yet, and and I was just a new minister. I'm like, okay, and I I think I preached John 3.16 at the graveside because I didn't know where this young man was. But just before the, the, the burial service started, the funeral director came up to me and he said, hey, uh, when you're done here, stay around and hang around with me. Will you do that? I said, yeah, I'm okay. So I did the graveside. We, had, we shook hands. We had prayer and everything. They left flyers and everything. And the family went away, and I said, what, what did you need, brother? He said, well, we need to grab this end of the casket and, and, and turn it around over there I'm like okay so he grabbed one in and the other guys grabbed and we we spun it around and I said what was that all about he said well in america our cemeteries are set to where the head is always westing uh, resting in the west so that when jesus comes to the eastern skies they raise up to see their savior versus put their head down here and then they got to sit up and turn around he said i said wow, well, i didn't know that so so next time you go to a cemetery i I would assume they still arrange it that way the head will rest in the west with the idea of the rapture, idea of the idea of the catching up. And so Jesus is talking, as he ascends, the angel said, he's going to return. Just as he ascended in God's glory, he's going to return in God's glory. And every time I do a graveside, I try to tell that story because sometimes it might be uh, something that somebody needs to hear. When I, I'm going to preach a funeral on Tuesday, he is a friend of mine's brother-in-law. He was a 63-year-old Down syndrome man. That's a pretty long time for Down syndrome. And he was a very sweet guy, wasn't he, Mama? Lloyd was. Very sweet-spirited young man, as I would say. And I'm going to mention that at the burial. There won't be much of a burial because they don't want to have it too long out in the cold. But I'm going to mention that. But one of the things I am going to preach about is the resurrection. First Corinthians 15, because that's the hope that we have. That this old body that's been corrupted by sin, this old body that's declining because of the corruption of sin, it's going to raise a newness of life. It's going to raise incorrupted. It's going to raise immortal to be reunited with their spirit to be with the Lord forever. And then the whole man will be saved. Saved not just through the from the guilt of sin. Saved not only through sanctification, through the process of fighting sin, but one day as the whole person glorified saved from the presence of sin forever. And so when we think of Jesus here in these 40 days or a snapshot of those 40 days, he's trying to say something to his disciples that is very important before he leaves. And I don't know what all he was teaching during those 40 days other than the Bible says he was teaching about the kingdom of God. But on this day, at this moment, he told them something very important. Luke says, I've not only told you something about Jesus and his life in the gospel. I'm going to be telling you something about Jesus in his last days before he ascended. But as Jesus began to sit down with his disciples, he began to remind them once again what he told them in the gospels. There's one coming. I must leave. There's one coming. He even promised over the Gospels that when I do leave and that one comes, you'll do more than I've done. Why? Because now every one of us will have the Spirit of God, right? And just numerically alone, we're going to do more in the sense of if Jesus was still walking on the earth, he would be limited to that physical body and he could uh, he could only be at Calvary Baptist you know, here once a, a millennium or something like that to be at church to preach. And so Jesus is... Taking this time before he ascends, before he leaves, he's giving them a command. He's giving them instructions. And he's saying, be patient. That's not for you to know about when when I establish this earthly kingdom. That's only for God. You need to focus on what I've already told you. And that is, you need a comforter. You need one to empower you to be busy about what I have taught and what I've done. You need to repeat what I have done for the kingdom of God. And so Jesus gives them those instructions from the comforter and then power that the Spirit of God is coming. And so I know it's just an intro. I know it's just the beginning of the book. It's probably not super exciting like it will be on the day of Pentecost or maybe when they develop the idea of deacons and servants in the church. It definitely won't be as exciting as when when Peter is preaching or when Paul is being persecuted by the Judaizers and the legalists. But listen, this is foundational. Before we see the birth of the church, we've got to have instructions from Jesus as to how it's going to be birthed. It's one thing to celebrate a birthday like we do when we have people down here. By the way, I believe that's very biblical because the Bible says you were fearfully, wonderfully made by the hands of God and that he's fashioned every day. Day for you. So if you have a birthday I'd like you to come down here and we want to sing happy birthday to you because God fashioned you and gave you all the days of your life. So when we celebrate a birthday up here, think of Psalm 139 how God fearfully and wonderfully made that individual and gave them all the days. He fashioned all the days for their life. But when we think of Jesus at the end of his earthly ministry, he has something important to say. He says, Don't be anxious. Don't worry about things you don't need to worry about. You focus on what I'm telling you. You need to be busy teaching and doing just as I did. You need to continue that. And he says there's one coming. That's going to be a comforter, a reminder, and an empower that you can continue to teach and do for the kingdom of God. Jesus departs to be with the Father. And he leaves his comforter And his commander to lead us as his disciples, to continue the ministry he began through his redemptive work. Jesus was fully man, but fully God, right? So he was in a flesh. As I said before, had he remained here to do that ministry, he'd be very limited, wouldn't he? One man. I can't remember how how many they said is in the world right now. Something in the beans. But listen. God has indwelt you by the Spirit to be little Christs. That's what we'll find out here in the book of Acts. They called them little Christs. They called them Christians. They're little Christs. That was the rumor. That was the, that was the nickname they gave people in the book of Acts. Why? Because they were acting like Christ. In the sense of teaching and doing. And by the time we get done with the book of Acts, it says that these people were known as people that turned the world upside down. And they were just a ragtag bunch of people. Matter of fact, I was talking one time, all these people the book of Acts had was prayer. They had a testimony. And they had, they had unity. And they might have had a few copies of maybe something that's been written lately. But they didn't have, they didn't have God's full revelation. We have God's full revelation. So we know only have prayer. We have, a, have testimony. We have God's full revelation to grow and develop as a church and be a witness. These people only had prayer and a testimony, maybe a few parcels of scriptures, but they had the apostles during that time teaching them, and Paul was one of them. Did you know during the book of Acts we'll find out that Paul, within a 12- or 14-year period, over two or three missionary trips, He reached all of his known world. And we'll also find out that as Paul did that with Barnabas, who eventually convinced the elders of Jerusalem that he's okay, he's not a persecutor anymore. Eventually, what happened to Paul and Barnabas? Well, Paul had a problem with John Mark leaving the missionary trip one time, so Paul and Barnabas split. And we thought, oh, my gosh, that's awful. Yeah, it's awful. But Paul and Barnabas just had a disagreement about John Mark. He thought John Mark, Paul probably thought John Mark Mark's just too weak. He ain't ready for this. So they split. And Barnabas went to do his thing, but Paul found Silas and continued to ministry. We don't like splits. We don't like people to depart. But even God can use that in his providence, and his sovereignty, to spread the gospel. And that's what happened in the book of Acts. We're going to see a lot of things in the book of Acts that that sometimes we're not familiar with, especially when it comes to the persecution, when it comes to the resistance of the gospel. But in reality, uh, the Bible says there's nothing new underneath the sun. And what we're going to find out is what may be more of a physical persecution here happens maybe a little bit more subtly in our world that we live in today. And I mean even in the American church. It has happened. Persecution. And so we're going to capsule this, but right now Jesus is saying before all that happens, before the church is born, before the church begins to develop and spread out and, and go to Judea, Samaria, and other most parts of the world, he says you just need to just be still. Be patient. Wait for the promise. And when the promise comes, he's going to fill you and make you a witness. He's going to empower you to be a witness, to continue to teach And do what I was doing, but on a higher level, on a higher scale, numerically. To the believer, like these people, and like Luke, we pass on the gospel, the gospel of the redemptive story, to faithful believers, so that they can pass on to other faithful men. Paul talks about that to Timothy. Take this gospel and pass it down to faithful men who will pass on to others. We too, like Luke, like these men and women, we pass on the gospel like Luke. We, and these people, we're indwelled by the Spirit of God. And until the day of full redemption, uh, which, which is, is, is something we're looking forward to, but until then we've got to occupy until he comes. And we seek that feeling on a regular basis to be empowered, empowered to be witnesses, witnesses of his gospel. They they trusted Jesus who uh, ruled their hearts as one. And we must trust Jesus who rules our hearts as one. May May we be patient in God's work as we develop at Calvary Baptist. May we be satisfied with God's work as Calvary Baptist. May we anticipate God's fruit as Calvary Baptist because it is his labor to build the church. We're out there planting seeds and it's God that brings the increase. Eventually Paul would write an epistle and some were saying, I'm of Apollos. I'm of Paul. And that's good to know where you come from, right? But they were using that to divide the church of Corinth. And he says, Look, some water, some plant, but it's God that gives the increase. And the Paul's point was is whether you were saved under Apollos' ministry, my ministry, or anybody else, he says, you need to give glory to God because it's Him that gives the increase. I'm just a maybe a seed thrower or a waterer. So as a church, as we as we wait for God to lead us as we wait for God to empower us at different times, to be a witness, uh, to do the labor of love that we've been called this community, we've got to be patient in God's work. We've got to be satisfied with God's work. Instead of seeking what we want in our own ambitions, we've got to see what God wants. That's why many times uh, when I'm reading the book of Acts or I'm praying about what I'm going to preach on, uh, there's things I want to say, there's things I want to do, and I don't do them yet. Because the Lord hadn't led me to do it yet. And I know sometimes it, it, it seems like, well, then when's it going to get done? In God's time. I know that's just a cliche. But you can't do everything all at once. Karen and I will be married 38 years in November. And, and, and we've come a long way in 38, almost 38 years. But had we figured it all out at day one, well, then where would have been the fun, right? <laughs> if you want to call it that. You know what I'm saying? Well, it's the same way with the church. If it just all happened at once, then where would be the journey? Where would be the trust? Where would be the repentance, the the, the dependence on God? I mean, if, if if that's the way it should have been, on November 20th, 1986, I should have just got saved in that aisle and went straight to heaven. Right? But God's got us on a journey. He not only justified you, he's going to sanctify you. And during that sanctification, we're going to see as the church develops here after their birth, they're going to go through some birth pains. They're going to go through some uh, persecution. They're going to go through some disagreements, whether it be Paul and Barnabas are just arguing about who needs to serve the widows and then they figure out they've got to have deacons. We're going to see them go through things that you and I go through every day as Calvary Baptist Church. And we're going to have to glean from that. We're going to have to say, oh, this is... Maybe not this situation, but it's similar, or at least the principle that they applied, we need to apply here. Because listen, you're flawed. Do you know every one of you are flawed? Of course when I was pointing a finger, what, like I said, three points pointing back to me, right? I'm flawed too. Because we're not fully glorified. And we're going to have to trust that Holy Spirit that comforts us, leads us, empowers us helps us, leads us. He's the commander now. We're walking to his drumbeat according to God's will and and under Jesus' authority and for his glory. So we must be patient in God's work. We must be satisfied with what God has put before us, not what Steve wants. And we're going to anticipate God's fruit and God's labor to build his church one block at a time. One block at a time. What would this mean to a non-believer? Well, a non-believer needs to know that Luke has not only uh, given us obviously the the Gospel of Luke in the previous uh, book of Luke, but a lost person needs to know that Luke's going to speak to them in the book of Acts too. And what what would what would Luke have to say if he was using his gospel in the book of Acts? He would want that person to know that first and foremost that what jesus taught and what jesus did was he taught about the kingdom of god and redemption with god is through him and him alone that he's the only sacrifice and lost people need to hear that i know that we think we live in america everybody knows that but i'm telling you i've done enough hospice chaplain work over 17 years i've walked into nursing homes i've walked into homes i walked into senior adult facilities and, and, and I've even done Bible studies in these uh, these facilities and, and sang hymns and everything, and not all of them know the gospel that you and I preach, that you and I love and embrace, and we want to hear they, they have a, maybe a version of their Jesus, a version of what they think God is because someone has not been faithful to take the text and just pull it out and give it faithfully. And perhaps maybe they haven't even chose to go to church to hear God's word. There is a lost and dying world out there. Wednesday, before we had church, I was over there turning the water on so we would have water on when we had our buildings and ground. And I met our neighbor, his father-in-law, and I met our neighbor across there. And we just talked for about an hour out there out in the cold. I'm just sitting there holding that little water meter thing, and we're just talking, and I gave him all a card, and, but the one guy that lives immediately over here, he's dealt with a lot of health problems, matter of fact, he told me he was married in this church June of 1977, isn't that amazing, and he lives right over there, but we talked for a while, me and him talked for a while after all the other ones left, and we had prayer, and I said, man, if you ever need anything, you call me, he said, I'll do that, he said, now, if you ever had any situation over there, he said, you come over here, I'm packing, I said, yes, sir, Uh, Said, me and Jill will be right over there. But, uh, but it was just a good time. But, you know, it was a good time where I could love on them, share with them my faith and what I'm, how long I've been here and everything. And the lost people need to know the gospel. But, you know, there's a lot of believing people that have distanced themselves from the church for all kinds of reasons. And when you and I engage them and talk to them, they might, even if they don't come here, they might say, Well, I guess church can be a good thing because I had a good experience with that person. And they go to church and maybe they'll get over whatever hurt it was they went through. So that would be my message to lost people is that Jesus came to teach and do. And what he taught was that redemption comes from having God's righteousness only through him and he did the redemptive work on the cross and he rose from the dead to give eternal life. So if someone listening or is here that is lost, the bottom line is you need to turn to Jesus, turn your back on sin and turn your face to Jesus to be saved from your sin guilt. Because listen, your sin guilt is bound to you. It is bound to you unless Jesus liberates you through his righteousness, you'll not have salvation. You'll not have hope as we have and the message to the church would be may we be a patient people may we be a satisfied people with what God has given us and may we be a trusting anticipating people watch not only teaching and doing but as we teach and do as we as we uh, season and reason as we throw seeds and we shed light to reason with people as Paul reasoned through the scriptures To share the gospel, may as we season and reason, may we be a people that are patient and anticipating God's working in someone's heart. Forced religion serves nothing but the person forcing religion. So if the Spirit of God doesn't stir a heart, I can talk to them till I'm blue in the face, but I need to talk to them till I'm blue in the face. Watch God work, watch the Spirit of God soften their heart. If God's got a plow or whatever and germinate that seed. So we as a church need to be patient. What I'd like to do right now is as Brother Ken comes for the hymn of invitation with the ladies, is just challenge you as a believer that perhaps maybe as a believer um, there's some things maybe like they were that you're anticipating that may not need to be something that we're worried about. We need to focus on what God has called us to do and that is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to herald the gospel with grace and truth timing's everything we're going to find out tonight in the book of Nehemiah that timing's everything and as timing works its way out we'll also find in the book of Nehemiah that Nehemiah's he hasn't even found out about Ballot and Tobiah yet but tonight he'll find out about Ballot, Tobiah and one more that it's resisting the work that God has called Nehemiah to do. And, and Nehemiah just simply speaks to that and says, you know what? Then you don't have any part of it. Just let us do our thing. And we may find some resistance over the years. I don't know. Over the days. And that's okay. God can take care of that. You stand for the hymn of invitation. Page four47.